Welcome to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Rich Brady. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. I'm Rich Brady, CEO at the American Society of Military Comptrollers, the premier association representing finance and accounting professionals in the defense sector, which is celebrating its 75th anniversary throughout 2023. And your host on The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. My guest today is David Sterling, founder and CEO of Royce Geo. Royce Geo supports the Department of Defense and the broader intelligence community by providing geospatial IT, analytics, and intelligence support. Dave started Royce Geo in 2015 and has grown the company to over 130 employees and triple-digit growth rates. Royce Geo is revolutionizing and democratizing analytics for their federal customers by putting advanced analytics and low no-code technologies in the hands of warfighters and decision makers. The nexus between intelligence analysis and defense financial management is clear. The proliferation of data and integration of systems is allowing for higher value added activities through data fusion, data analytics, data visualizations, and decision support. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich, appreciate it. Absolutely. As I mentioned in the opening, uh, Royce Geo was started in about 2015. Can you take us back to 2015 and talk about uh, the origins? Sure. Scary time, you know. Yeah, you, 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 you leave work on a Friday, start on a Monday, and you got to figure out who's going to pay you and what you're going to do. Um, it, it wasn't that bad. So um, had been in the Intel and DoD community, both as a government civilian and a, and a contractor, um, really uh, wanted to pursue my background in geospatial intelligence, really wanted to build a, a unique firm around how to take the intelligence lifecycle and really put novel automation and a force multiplying capability around how to, how we do tradecraft. Um, and that was really the core thesis. And um, we really haven't broken from that uh, eight years, you know, fast forward today. Uh, our goal is really to, if we're putting an analyst into a, into a mission center, into a customer location, how do we provide him with the tools, tradecraft, and know-how to make him a three, four, five x multiplier in terms of his capability? And that's really that's that's who we are, and I think what we are known for within uh, within our partners um, today. So it's really about providing the subject matter experts, uh, analysts, uh, embedding them with the, your federal clients to support them on site. Is that? Is that the, the basis of, of the business? Yeah, it, it definitely was for the first five, six years. Okay. Um, you know, it, it's get as close to the mission as possible. Um, I would say in the last year and a half, uh, not sure if the whole work from home environment or what has been a forcing factor to this, but we're seeing a lot of a change in terms of how the government is, is really buying um, and uh, procuring intelligence services. So instead of, let's say, buy hours, guys in the mission center buying seats, um, let's buy analytic results. And that is what we've really focused on in the last couple of years. We're still not deviating away. We all, you always need folks in the mission center. We are really looking at how to build a lot of novel tradecraft using pure commercial open source data, and then bring that inside the building, if you will, and then match that with the national level data to really do that complete sense making of, of the broader intelligence issue. And uh, that approach has been you know, is, I think is really aided to our explosive growth we've experienced in the last 18 months. 
And so your headquarters here in the Washington, D.C. area, um, are you, do you have locations elsewhere outside of uh, Washington, D.C.? or? Yeah, so we're primarily uh, based in Arlington. We have a huge footprint in the Midwest, in St. Louis, and uh, we also have folks in Colorado, Hawaii, Florida, and a couple of other places overseas. Right. Now, is that driven by your your primary customer base? You know, D.C., St. Louis sounds like NGIA, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh, a lot of support to them. I think I recently saw you were uh, awarded a contract uh, with them. So. Is that what's driving a lot of the growth right now from a customer perspective? Yeah, correct. So NGAs, that's by far uh, you know our largest uh, partner uh, and has been a great, great, great partner to us. And then we are expanding outside of NGA into a lot of the greater DOD within the combatant commands and also some of the uh, specific units so where we provide folks that go downrange that are you know training to fight and they get as close to that problem set as possible. We have we have. Uh, I think individuals right now in three different continents outside of North America uh, that are working with uh, with our military partners today. So when you're meeting with a customer, a potential customer, what's your 30-second pitch? Our 30-second pitch is that we are an advanced analytics firm that is going to show your troops, your analysts, how to 10x their job. How do you do more with the tools that you have today and with a little bit of tradecraft, a little bit of support and data and some of our know-how and automation, this is how we're going to improve uh, your, your mission space. So, and again, that is what we've started the company on eight years ago, and um, we're proving this out in even faster and faster uh, in the last couple of years, where I think the, the customer, our, mil, our government base was not quite ready to expand, um, but technically we're getting better labor, we're getting... Uh, folks that are more attuned to data science, to automation, to coding. Uh, so we're able to uh, make that capability a little bit more pervasive. Let's shift back to uh, strategy. You talked about uh, how your strategy has evolved over time, particularly over the last 18 months from what you started out at. Uh, can you talk about you know, what was your strategy? What was the process you used to kind of lay out a strategy for, for Royce Geo in the beginning? And how has that evolved over time? Yeah, um, we... There's the type of work that I'll air quote pays the bills. Um, nothing is wrong with doing that part of the mission stack. What we wanted to do is look at NGA for an example. They're a big intelligence provider, a big source data collector. Okay, so what are the really novel parts of that mission set that we understand a couple layers deeper uh, because we've been there, we've kind of walked that ground. And that's really where we wanted to start really layer down into that intelligence stack, that data stack, and then start expanding that capability kind of from the inside out. Um, that, that really hasn't changed a whole lot. I think what really has pivoted for us is looking at, like I mentioned earlier, being inside the mission centers, looking at usually classified national technical means type data, to now where we are looking at a tremendous amount of commercial data, which is being produced at a, a huge multiplier compared to um, to the national side, and really doing that sense making on the commercial side and bringing those two together. So, uh, where we see ourselves in the next four, five, six years is sitting at the intersection of national and commercial data, and, and showing, like I said, that complete holistic picture uh, to support you know intelligent sense making and decision making for uh, for our partners. How difficult is it to keep your you know, strategy up to date or keep it pace with this, uh, one, the emerging technology, but also the proliferation of data that's out there? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. So, you know, there's always 
the staff and you need to find the, the next best, brightest, you know, PhD in math who understands machine learning and orbitology. Right. You know, those guys happen to be out there. We, have, we were lucky enough to find some of those. And then you have, you know, you need uh, really good machine learning, AI, ML, computer vision folks. So there's the staff component, which obviously, you know, if you can't recruit at the speed of tech, you're always going to be a little bit behind. The we've been fortunate where we've had a really good team where we've been able to kind of grow with the with the tech stack. But the data side of it has been a slightly challenging because you've got commercial open source, which you can go and harvest. Then there's commercially viable collected data, which comes at a cost. Um, we find that a lot of that is really, really good. However, you know, it's now it's working with our partners to really get them attuned to how to look at buying data or moreover, let's let us, the company, worry about buying data and you worry about really buying an end result. We'll make the sausage, you just buy, you buy the sausage. And so that, um, that's been a bit of an education process over the last 18 months to where we're pivoting uh, from a time and material type contract to more of a firm fixed price analytics as a service contract. And the, that is where we've seen a really interesting shift in our business model. And moreover, it allows us to kind of catch back up, if you will, to okay, now we have a contract mechanism that allows us to go to buy the data we need, we'll do it with our dollars, and at the end of the day, we're selling that analytic service, that result. And so that's, that's, we're, we'll, we'll never be at pace, but we're, we're getting really, really close to you know, being right there with it. You mentioned the, probably the hottest buzzword acronym uh, in, in business, uh, technology, education, across the board right now, mm -hmm. AI, artificial sure. intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about that? Are your customers asking for that? And, uh, do they understand what that really means right now and the full capabilities? Yeah, for sure. Um, everyone's interested. I think folks really want to know more. Um, there are, you know, I think there are very few experts and a lot of just sort of knowledgeable folks. Um, our role as a company is to not stand on a hilltop and wave, hey, we're an AI company. We understand and use AI and ML capabilities, but it's a part of our greater automation strategy. So one of the things that we're using AI for today is how are we building um, uh, machine-driven Intel reports that automatically pull in, compile data from multiple streams, run it through an analytic, and then produce that report through an AI-generated model that I can deliver via email right to a four-star's desk every morning. And we have those running today for multiple, for multiple partners. That's one version of it. Um, we are still not there to where it's going to be mouse click, human completely out of the loop. Yeah. There's some instances where, yeah, that exists, but we are we are pretty far away from an entire intelligence life cycle being driven purely by machines. That expert opinion, that expert judgment, that trained analyst, that trained soldier, they are still very much a part of the equation, and, and quite frankly, I don't see them going away anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, as, as we mentioned, I've, I've taken a look at, uh, at the technology a little bit, and I'm equally intrigued, excited about it as I am you know, a little scared about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's incredibly uh, capable. Uh, right. And uh, there have been a number of reports about concerns about the ethical implications of right. this. Uh, you mentioned keeping a human in the loop. Uh, do you see that as being uh, just a near-term effort uh, with AI and eventually, you know, the humans will be taken out of it or, you know, really, you know, depending on the type of uh, environment you're working in, mm -hmm. like intelligence, uh, you're always going to have to have a human in the loop somewhere. Yeah, I can, I can speak to intelligence. So um, I think you will see a, a downward squeeze on the amount of potential resources that are used. And, and I'll pick on us, the contractor workforce, where 
yes, we're bringing in automation, we're bringing in technology, so you don't, you don't need to throw as many humans at the problem. Um, however, I like to look at it this way when we're engaging with our partners, it's we're not bringing in technology like this to replace your soldier or to replace your analyst. What we're bringing in this technology is to turn your analyst into, instead of a, a 1x data provider, a 5, 6, 7, 10x information and data provider. So we had a situation we were training out in the Pacific, a certain group of soldiers were able to produce about five reports a day, a team of eight. We turned that to 24 reports per soldier per day. So they were, you know, it was an exponential increase and what they saw was, okay, automation, analytics, a little bit of a sprinkle of AI here and there, this is a good thing. Nobody's getting worked out of a job. We still have important decisions where, uh, you know, individuals, humans need to be in that decision chain but in terms of speed of conveying information, reporting, disseminating, getting things out there, um, that's where the AIML piece really you know, becomes a powerful tool. And it's just that, it's a tool. It's not necessarily the decision maker, but it's gonna help that information pipeline and accelerate that. Yeah, I think um, I, I recently read a Goldman report that said uh, uh, AI has the potential to increase workforce productivity by 1.5% per year, uh, mm -hmm. more for developed countries, wealthy countries, than for uh, less developed countries. So a lot of potential here. I definitely want to get into the, uh, the talent management aspects of this uh, uh, in the next segment. Sure. You are listening to The Business of Defense with our guest, Dave Sterling, founder and CEO of Royce Geo. We'll be right back. The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. Welcome back to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network. I'm talking with David Sterling, founder and CEO of Royce Geo. Dave leads an employee-centric small business firm that provides subject matter experts teamed with enduring vendor partnerships to provide integrated solutions to their federal clients. Royce Geo was recently awarded the Small and Emerging Contractors Advisory Forum Government Contractor of the Year Award for 15 to $27.5 million revenue businesses and has been recognized on the list of top places to work by the Washington Post in 2022. Dave, I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, how you got to Royce Geo. Uh, you know, before 2015, you, you made that decision to, to start the firm. You know, what led up to that? Uh, what led you to the idea that uh, there was a need in the marketplace for a firm like Royce Geo? Um, I kind of had that, that business bug to go and start something. I've, I really put it, started putting the wheels in motion in 06, just getting smart on if, if I'm going to run a company, first I'm going to need to figure out, figure out how to recruit people. So I started this little you know, recruiting side hustle for guys like me, like looking at intelligence folks that really understood GIS, and that was the focus, and, and had a handful of uh, companies that I moonlighted and supported in the evenings. Um, and then um, that kind of subsided and then really went um, uh, really deep with a, with a mid-sized firm. We were acquired, I was working for a small firm, we were acquired, and uh, that firm was KUIW, and they've since been uh, purchased by Jacobs. Um, we bought 26 companies in about six years, and really see, watching company building and watching strategy and capability and really how you can accelerate capability via acquisition. And, 
that really is what got me fired up about entrepreneurship and really doing something uh, inventive and, and different uh, because that company was different. And um, one of the luxuries of that was I, I got to meet former CEOs of 100 person, 150 person companies and I talked to them, hey, what worked, what didn't work? So after two years, I had this ultimate playbook of company building in the defense GovCon space and uh, had really great mentors within the company, outside of the company, had a really great CEO. I, I, I pr approached him about starting my own firm and he said, how can we help? And it was literally that simple. So, um, um, you know, had put the idea together to really launch in July 14 and finally stepped out in February 15 and the rest is history. So you had experience on the GovCon space. Did you have experience on the federal side as well? Or I, was, I did. Okay. Early in my career, I was uh, a blue badger. And I was working in, inside the, the Mission Center with uh, with one of the one of the agencies, and um, we were, you know, I was able to really learn the mission space, and that was one of the best jobs I've ever had in the sense that every day you saw something different. You were learning every day. You really learned what. You know the, the the instincts, the patterns, what you know the customer is really looking for, and I think that armed me and really made me a better government contractor, if you will. In, in the end, and I probably wouldn't. We as a company wouldn't be as effective today if it wasn't for that that foundational experience that I you know got when I was in my early twenties. So when you started out, you said that uh, you reached out to some uh, other CEOs to get mm -hmm. advice and everything. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, You've, you've got the, the mentors that have uh, supported you along the way. Did you start out as a teaming partner with some of them, or did you go right out uh, looking for contracts of your own? Uh, so I had some relationships with other larger uh, uh, integrators and that I had uh, you know, met through the years of working with this uh, the mid-sized firm. And uh, they kind of knew my story. Um, it's a small world, it's a small, the community is small. And uh, they said, yeah, we, we would love to have your support. and. Uh, some of them were very gracious to help with the facility clearance and, you know, getting some of those initial uh, subcontracts. There was a lot of trust there. And, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you've got to produce people, you got to produce a result. So, um, you know, I had to execute and we were, you know, year one, two employees, year two, five, and then it kind of snowballed from there. And then here we are, 130 plus employees today. Now, you started out, uh, it sounds like, working uh, heavily with the intelligence community. And when I talk to other firms, some very large firms even, uh, well-established firms, they talk about the difficulty of getting into the IC uh, from a contracting perspective. Sure. Um, but but you made it in there, and once you're in, I, I hear once you're in, you're kind of in. Yeah. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about that? How, how were you able, was it uh, was those initial connections you had? Uh, what allowed you to, to make that first step into the intelligence community? Yeah, so, you know, like a lot of other sectors in, in GovCon, it's a relationship business just like the rest of them. Um, I, I started there fresh out of school. Um, it was kind of what I knew where my comfort zone was and, and spent many years building, you know, good relationships, being someone that, you know, I knew his way around a keyboard. I was fairly proficient with, uh, with tradecraft. So um, it was a combination, I think, of those, those things. Um, and really, at the end of the day, when you're when you're company building, especially early on, and in, in trying to tap into new markets, you've got to find those mentors, those champions, those folks that are w willing to kind of stick their neck out for you, um, uh, because it's their reputation as well. And I was able to build some the other relationships, build some good teaming partners early on, and um, you know we were we've. Started off with a small pool of contracts, and now we're, I believe, in somewhere around 15 to 16 different contracts, and with four to five different government customers, both DOD and IC. 
Now, as you branch out, you're starting to work uh, more with the Department of Defense, and not mm -hmm. uh, on the IC side. What uh, what differences are there? Can you see some differences in how you approach uh, the customers uh, with your your offerings? Uh, at, at the end, um, a lot of them are asking for the same thing. At least in the in the work that we uh, do in, in advanced analytics and and uh, accelerated tasking orchestration, really understanding the commercial space layer, bringing machine learning to bear to tradecraft. All those things really nest together very well. And the more we speak with folks, especially in the Air Force, Space Force, Army, uh, Special Operations Command, they all really have one, ver uh, one variation off of the same requirement. So we're able to tailor a lot of our solutions to meet their specific need. But at the end of the day, it's still the same problem set. How are we finding you know, targets of interest? How are we maintaining custody over those targets? Really understanding what they're doing. How do we harness the commercial data layer and bring that in to support and supplement our national data uh, that we're that we're collecting? Um, so, uh, in, in the end, we we feel like we've figured out that piece of the world really well, and now it's how far can we go with each one of these partners to really make sure that you know we can deliver as much capability. There's also a lot of pressure on IT budgets. Uh, mm -hmm. Are you uh, experiencing some of that? Are you trying to find uh, for your customers some cost savings, some right. ways that they can leverage uh, technology, or you can help them find a way of doing it cheaper? I know we talked about, you know, the data. You know, mm -hmm. they, the government doesn't want to buy data twice. Right. Uh, so how can you support them in that area? Yeah, for sure. Uh, cloud costs uh, are starting to um, become a real eyesore for folks. At, at first, it was cloud is the cheap, novel efficient way to look at data processing and analytics. And now we're seeing reports of large Fortune 500 firms are going back to physical. They're going back to uh, servers um, because they're seeing that cloud is now not as cheap as they thought. One of the things that we do in working in cloud analytics is looking at a lot of data pre-processing, a lot of data conditioning, things that you can do that don't require the cloud to so that you're not running all of your data against, against an analytic using all that cloud resource and, uh, and, and you know, the money and the cost associated with that. So uh, we've spent a lot of time on data conditioning, data processing, data understanding to say, okay, government, your cloud bill is this, let's help you bring it down to this, and here's some novel ways to do it that really don't cost you anything. Um, another piece uh, um, on the pure enterprise IT side is looking at um, how are we doing things like unified communications, how are we taking older monolithic systems and really replacing them with smart, lean systems that can be run with a small group of engineers opposed to a group of 20 engineers um, and use that and use that technology. So communication is one of the most important things. When your jabber goes down, the entire agency goes dark. No one right. can talk. So we're showing them very lean, very efficient, very um, highly reliable systems that can be run with a small footprint of folks. And you know we have a pretty large enterprise IT component of the company, and you know we just won a fairly large uh, uh, pr program as a partner to General Dynamics. And out of the gate, you know, not only uh, uh, fault of of the prime or the customer, but the environment is the environment. Here's the this is the IT footprint we need to support. Um, here's the staff that's in place. Make do with what you have, and and that's kind of the new normal. Uh, so, but at the end, you know, if the lights are on, everything's blinking, everyone's happy, you know, we're happy. So we, we do our best to make sure that with the staff we have, we can, um, you know, uh, take care of many of the addressable items as, as possible and keep the, keep the lights on. At the end of the day, even with technology, it takes people. It takes a skilled mm -hmm. workforce. Right. Uh, we talked a little bit about talent management in the first segment. I would like to come back to that. 
Um, you know, it's, it's tough. Uh, unemployment's at uh, historically low levels. Um, you know, we're still sorting out the remote versus hybrid versus mm -hmm. in-person work. Uh, and you've got the added complexity of being uh, in the intelligence community, working with the intelligence community where you have to have cleared people. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the challenges and maybe some opportunities you're seeing in the talent management space? Um, yeah, challenges always exist, uh, you know, clearances and highly skilled personnel, right? Um, and I believe there for a while you had a lot of the major tech giants were, were really beefing up their staff. And now we're seeing this attrition that's, that's happening uh, across multiple uh, very large firms. Um, companies our size are becoming the benefactor of, of some of that. You know, really great talent that was unfortunately laid off that, you know, have come our way that we're, we've been able to hire. That's, that's one, and that's, I think, a very, uh, that's a very isolated incident. That's not going to be the norm. Um, what we're seeing is an opportunity, and this pivots to how we're doing a lot of intelligence production on the pure commercial open source side where clearances aren't required. We're able to bring in really young, talented staff, get them trained up on intelligence, tradecraft, and skills, things they would not see unless they were sitting inside a mission center with a clearance, um, and then at the same time, we're able to get them cleared via contracts that we own. So now we have this natural progression of organic development of, of junior staff that we can now trust to put inside the mission center that really understand tradecraft, that really understand data, that are you know, really good with customers that we, you know, we've trained, we've coached, we've mentored. Um, because you can't go and hire off the street every machine learning expert. Right. You just can't get them. So the other option is you have to build them organically. And that's so... We're doing a combination of you know really, uh, really good external recruiting, and then more importantly that that talent cultivation, development, and management internally. And in doing that, are you able to maintain the culture that you want within Royce Geo? I think that only helps the culture yeah. by doing that because you're showing, especially your uh, the younger generation as they're coming up, and we were all there. You know, what's the next great job? What's going to be that job that gives me that promotion? Maybe it's in the company, maybe it's out. Um, we like to think we can show them not one path to promotion. Here's four different paths to promotion. And it's through basically different programs, different port parts of our portfolio or customer base to where right now we've got a team of analysts that are working four different projects. And it's all for direct DOD mission support. And it's no one project is the same. So it's providing that variability. It's providing them that experience they wouldn't get otherwise just sitting down working one one effort and uh, it's it's playing out really well. We're already getting folks cleared and we're already getting them ready to go in the shoot to go inside the mission space, you know, this fall. Well, I look forward to seeing where Royce Geo is in about five years. I, I, I do too, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'd like to thank today's guest, David Sterling, founder and CEO of Royce Geo for his insights into Royce Geo's mission, strategy, and culture. How they are leveraging technology and data to support their federal customers and the opportunities he sees with AI and data fusion in the federal sector. This brings us to the end of our first program year on the business of defense. I want to thank our guests from across the defense sector, the bigs, the smalls, the partnerships and private equity owned, and the SDVOBs, the ESOPs, and EDWOSBs who have joined us over the past 12 months. These business leaders brought us inside their companies to talk about the challenges and opportunities of operating in the federal and defense space. I also want to thank our partners at WTOP and Federal News Network for their expertise in programming, production, and distribution of this video podcast. And finally, I want to thank you, our viewers and listeners, for your support and the feedback you have provided to improve this program. Please join us again next month as we kick off our second program year 
and bring you inside the companies working to drive transformation in the defense sector, to hear directly from their business leaders, and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. I am Rich Brady, CEO of the American Society of Military Comptrollers, and I thank you again for joining us. You are listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search ASMC. Thank you for listening to The Business of Defense, sponsored by ASMC on Federal News Network.